Welcome to episode 26 of the Penscast. It is Sunday, January 7th, 2024. And we are just fresh off of a Penguins loss to the Buffalo Sabres at home 3-1. to The Sabres took the Penguins fresh off of a victory that had the Penguins in high spirits. A 6-5 to victory over the, the league's best team, arguably the Boston Bruins. So it's been a week of ups and downs. A week of different attitudes towards the team. And honestly, since the last podcast I've had, which was almost a month ago now because... I'm busy. I've been a busy guy, frankly. Um, a lot has happened. This has been a roller coaster of a season, up and down for this Penguins team and the fan base. And I think there's. I'm going to draw some parallels here today because just earlier uh, today, a few hours ago, the Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, clinched a playoff berth because another team lost. And I have a feeling that the scenario that happened for the Steelers to squeak into the playoffs is going to be very similar to that in which the Penguins are going to see themselves with come April. I have a feeling, just based on how insane and up and down and how much of a soap opera this season has been for both the team and the league altogether, that we're going to see just complete mayhem. And the Penguins are going to need some help here to get into the playoffs because as we stand today at nearly the halfway mark of the, of the season. I think the Penguins have played 38 games, so they're three off from the halfway park, uh, the halfway mark exactly. They are not in a playoff uh, spot. If they had won yesterday, I think they would have been tied technically for a playoff spot. Um, but th- as we stand right now, they are not in a playoff spot. And like I said, it has been a roller coaster of a season um, up and down. You know, The one consistent has been if there's a few consistents, I'd say the goaltending, which is not something I would have said, you know, at the beginning of the season or even during the off season. I thought the Tristan Jari signing was a bad deal. I thought there are better options out there, but he's been consistent pretty much all season. I have pretty much no complaints with goaltending. Alex Nadolkovich has exceeded my expectations as a backup goaltender, and at times I think he's kind of pushed Tristan Jari for starts. I mean, there's no doubt about it where there's been some starts given to Nadalkovich where traditionally Mike Sullivan would have went with Tristan Jari, but Ned's done well, Jari's done well, and the other consistent has been Sidney Crosby. But what else is new? It's 2023. He's been consistent pretty much since he broke into the league back in 2005. He is having arguably a heart trophy caliber season. The numbers may, might not look at it, but obviously the numbers don't tell the full story. The goals are, uh, that he scored have been uh, timely, to say the least, uh, including the one against Boston was the game-winning goal on the power play at the towards the end of the third period, which won that Boston uh, won the game against Boston. And he's also been, I think, in my eyes, one of the best two hundred. Sorry, one of the best two hundred foot players in the NHL. So those are the two consistent things throughout the year, but. Man, has it been a up and down season thus far for, as uh, the old two niner Phil Bork says, the Penguinies. And the biggest news that come out of this team over the last 24 hours, or I guess 48 hours, I think it goes back a little further than that, isn't anything to do with what's been happening on the ice. It has to do with the future of the team. And one player in particular, Jake Gensel, who arguably is probably a top three player on this team right now and he's produced at such a high rate since he is broke into the league back in 2017 and 
he, he's a pending free agent. He's been on that $6 million sweetheart of a deal for the past few years. And that contract is up this uh, this this coming July. On July 1st, he'll be a free agent if he does not resign. And he went on, it was not him, his agent went on to Sirius XM NHL and decided to talk about the uh, impending negotiations that are coming up. And his agent is Ben Hankinson. And this is what he said in the tweet. Uh, the person who got this quote was uh, David Pagnotta, uh, the fourth period on uh, X. The quote is, he's on the last year of a deal. The good news is I have a really good relationship with Kyle Dubas. Jake Gensel's in a great spot. He started his career there. It's no secret the team is getting older. There are some Hall of Fame players on the team. What's go- oh, excuse me? What's going to happen? I don't know. But I'm going to lean on conversations I've already had with Kyle, including in the summer, including conversations with Jake. I think the good thing is that we'll all be on the same page. Could it get ugly? Yes, it could. Kyle has to make decisions too. Which way the team is going and the investment he's going to make with Jake. Is it the same direction? It's going to come down to how they play and we'll put our heads together. And like we talked about a couple of minutes ago, all the things that go into trade deadlines, Kyle might look into what he could get for Jake or what it costs to sign him. There's a lot that will happen in two months, and I don't know the answers to that. But I do know Jake loves Pittsburgh. He's a hockey player. He's had some great he's had some good success and fun in that city. We'll see. And then uh, Rob Rossi took it upon himself to ask during postgame, which was kind of controversial at the time. That's not the question you really ask during a postgame. Uh, he asked Gensel about the comments and about what, how he feels about the state of the negotiations. And I have his quote here. It's a shorter quote. Uh, Jake says, I mean, I'm not going to go... Uh, too much into detail about it. I'm just trying to play and we'll see what happens as we go. If you're a Penguin fan that thinks the team should re-sign Jake Gensel, those aren't promising quotes from either Jake or his agent, Ben Hankinson. And I've been on the record since the summer, since I kind of forecasted that, you know, Jake obviously his contracts up uh, this coming summer and that it could potentially become an issue. I've been on the train. Jake Gensel needs to be re-signed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Kyle Dubas, his biggest decision, his biggest, uh, the most important thing he needs to focus on is making sure they can re-sign him. And I don't think the money is going to be a problem. I don't think that the money is going to be an issue at all. All the projections are in that 8 to $9 million range. I probably would say it's going to be closer to 9 It might even go above 9 because the reports that came out yesterday were fellow UFA forward William Nylander, who um, is on the Toronto Maple Leafs, he is closing in on an eight-year deal worth $11.5 million. If you compare the production that Jake Gensel's put up in his career versus William Nylander, um, as a Penguin fan, you might want to you know, really hope that that number is in the nines and not in the tens or elevens, because Jake Gensel arguably could ask for similar, maybe a little less money than William Nylander. I think it's a little different too because Nylander is playing in Toronto. There's higher taxes there. I think there's, you know, it's a little easier to take a little less in Pittsburgh. Not that there, this isn't, you know, a tax haven here in Pennsylvania by any means. Um, you know, 
notably player players uh, in the players association have sued the city of Pittsburgh for the jock tax uh, among other things so it's I'm not saying it's cheaper to play in Pittsburgh but there is a there's levels to this if you look at what Toronto's playing their top players versus what Pittsburgh's uh, paying their top players there's a disparity there so it makes sense that Nylander is probably going to ask and get for a little more than Jake however I think Jake would be completely within his you know rights to ask for nine to ten million dollars he's consistently been a 30 plus uh goal projected scorer he's missed some time there's been covid years and whatnot but he scored 40 in a season twice he scored 30 uh one more time but then if you go back there are many seasons where he was on pace to get to 30 but the seat he might miss time or whatever through this season in 38 games he is 18 goals, 25 assists, 43 points. In my eyes, you know, like I said, he's been a top three player on this team this season, and he's a big reason why they are where they are. And I'm going to get into this a little later about how great Sidney Crosby's been. I know I brushed up on it earlier, Um, but Jake Gensel is no slouch either. He's had an incredible season. And to say that the Penguins are only doing well because of Sidney Crosby, I think is a load of crap. Jake Gensel is having an incredible season this year as well. And like I said earlier, the goaltending is doing well as well. But Jake Gensel is having a phenomenal year and at a great time for it too because like I said, he's going to cash in this summer. Whether that's in Pittsburgh, whether that's in, I don't know, he's a Minnesota guy or he's a Nebraska guy, but I mean, he could go to Minnesota. He could go to Detroit, I'm sure could find room for him. I'm sure there's a number of teams that would jump at the bit to get Jake Gensel on their team. There's probably teams that I'm not even thinking of that would want to do that. Maybe Anaheim wants to add a supplemental scoring to their young up-and-coming team, have a veteran guy like Jake in there. But Kyle Dubas cannot mess this up. He cannot let Jake Gensel walk for nothing. But I'm of the belief he can't move him at all. You need to secure Jake Gensel because, yes, he is getting older. He's still not as old as your the rest of your team. He's 29 years old. But he, in my eyes, is the age of the... He's the perfect player to transition this team. He's going to be here when Sid, Gino, and Latang retire. And by the time they start, the team in the organization starts getting back into the up, he's still going to be around. And you need a player that makes the fans want to go see the games. You cannot have the roster that the Chicago Blackhawks have right now without Connor Bedard because Bedard got injured. Right now, their offense, their top paid forward is Jason Dickinson. You cannot, in Pittsburgh, have that kind of lineup going on the ice every day because you will not sell seats. You just won't. It's it's the plain and short of it. People will not come see your product if you don't have anyone worth seeing on the ice. And that's a reality that could happen after Sid, Gino, Latang, and probably shortly after or maybe right around the same time, uh, Carlson retires too. Jake Gensel is 29 in... What are we assuming here? Three years those guys retire? Three, four years? He'll still be 33 if in four years. It, it doesn't make any sense to me to let him go. He is the best young option you have. You can't just lean in to being all 35-plus guys. He is aging, 
but he's not old. By the time those guys retire, he's still going to have a little bit left in him too. Enough to transition from one era, the Crosby, Malkin, and Latang era, to the next era. He'll be able to play on a line with Braden Jaeger in a few years. I, I just don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I think Kyle and his brass that sit up in the, in the box above the press box, uh, they really, really need to focus on getting this done. And honestly, I don't care if it's over $9 million. I, I, if, even if it gets 9.5, that guy is worth it. The production that he brings to the team. And beyond that, he's been the most consistent winger on Sidney Crosby's line in Sidney's career. Other than maybe Chris, uh, not Chris Lutang, and maybe other than Chris Kunitz. But I'd argue Jake Gensel has been the best, most consistent winger that Sidney Crosby's had throughout his career. There has not been a winger of more talent that's been spent more than a half of a season with Sidney Crosby. And guess what, guys? Sidney Crosby's contract is is up after next season. After the 24-25 season, his contract's up. If you don't have Jake Gensel there, what's the incentive of having Sidney, of Sidney Crosby coming back? Maybe he just retires and goes off into the sunset and says, you know what, we're not winning this, screw this, I'm going to go be healthy. I've had enough injury career uh, injury uh, issues in my career. Why not why put any more risk into it if we're not going to contend for a Stanley Cup? Or maybe he looks over at Denver and sees one of his uh Cole Harbor training buddies and says, "Hey, Nate, let me take a league minimum deal and be the best second line center in NHL history and let's go win some cups." I'm not saying Sidney Crosby is going to do that. I think Sidney Crosby is attached to Pittsburgh unlike any superstar on any team in any sport in North American history. I think he is stapled to this organization as much as Mario was, if not more. But if you take Jake out of the equation, maybe that's not so. There was a lot of, that went wrong during the Ron Hextall era, um, era excuse me, and one of those things was pissing off the stars. Sydney had to persuade Latang to sign, and then Latang and Sid had to beg Gino to come back because that did not seem like a certainty up until the night before free agency opened. If those decisions go differently, maybe we're looking at things differently right now. But that same situation could happen here with Jake. I think Kyle Dubas. Has a better. I'd like to think he has a better handle of things than what Ron and Brian Burke had when they were at the helm. But at the same time, Jake Gensel is the future of this team. He's the present, and I think he's the next era. He could probably be the next captain of this team when Sidney Crosby uh, eventually retires. Because he's still gonna if if he resigns, he's still gonna be here. He's still gonna be producing at a high level, and there's no one on the team within that age group right now, at least that touches what Jake can do. Jake's 29 rusty's 31. You could argue rusty maybe, but still Jake has put up numbers that no winger uh, on this team or no player on this team outside of the big three have been able to put up. And I think we need to stop talking about the big three and, and we need to start including Jake into that conversation. He is an elite player elite goal scorer, elite playmaker. And I think that, um, I mean, I, I honestly didn't think that that was even a possibility of him leaving. Up until this week, 
whenever his agent went on the radio, which it just could all, it also could just be a negotiating tactic, you know, make it seem like that there's, you know, a chance that he leaves, make, you know, have the uh, offer go up a little bit. Jake did say, or I read something earlier today, may not have been Jake, it may have been just uh, speculation, but um, that Jake wouldn't want to negotiate until the end of the season. I don't like that at all. Because if you are certain then that you're that you're not going to be able to re-sign him, at that point, you're not getting anything back for him. I think they shouldn't wait. But also, it's out of their control. It's Jake and uh, Hankinson's decision. It's, not a, it, it's a two-sided negotiation. It's not like Kyle can just throw money and say, sign here. But beyond what happened in the last 24 hours, I thought it was pretty cut and dry that Jake will be back. But now the waters are starting to muddy a little bit. And I think it's something that Penguin fans might need to put on DEFCON 2 or 3. Maybe have a little bit of worry about it. We'll see. We'll see. There's still a lot of time left in the season. And from what the sounds of it, uh, from what Jake and his agent were saying... What happens this year could be a deciding factor. Maybe Jake doesn't want to go back to a team that's on the decline if they miss the playoffs for a second straight year. Maybe that's a bigger deciding factor for him than money. I don't know. But either way, that's the latest on the Jake Gensel drama. Hasn't uh, hasn't been a quiet past uh, couple days here in Pittsburgh. First, the Steelers won. They needed some help to get in. They got it. They got it early on Sunday with Jacksonville, which is a low-key rival of the Steelers, not mentioned enough. The Jacksonville and Pittsburgh have gone back and forth a lot and even organizationally have uh you know that that team's never been a great organization at all. They've never been, you know, a Super Bowl contender really, but they always give the Steelers a hard time and man it feels good. It, it feels so good to, to to know that the Steelers were the reason that they're missing the playoffs. So they've disrespected the terrible towel. You know, uh, I think his name was Rasheen Mathis. He was a cornerback for them in the uh, 2000s. He, every time Ben Roethlisberger played the Jaguars, that guy intercepted Ben every single time. So it's a little bit of payback there for that. But yeah, the Steelers situation has been huge this weekend in Pittsburgh. Jake Gensel and his agent decided to drop a bomb on all Penguin fans, and Pirate Fest happened this past weekend as well, and not that I'm interested in that really at all, but I saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining that the there was mystery uh, bags, I guess, that were given out that you could pay money for for the foundation or whatever and get, and all of the autographs were from like players, very forgettable players from what I saw, but I thought that was funny uh, nonetheless. So that's the Jake situation. Don't want to make the entire episode about Jake Gensel's agent, but that's the you know the tall and short of it. Earlier yesterday, the Penguins and Kyle Dubas completed a trade with the Chicago Blackhawks where they acquired a 2026 conditional seventh-round pick, which has to be the lowest-value asset outside of future considerations. Um, they got that from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Rem Pitlick. Rem Pitlick was acquired from the Canadians in the three-way Eric Carlson trade, and I thought that he could have actually been a player for the Penguins uh, 
going into the season through the offseason, I penciled him in as a 13, 12th, 13th, 14th forward on this team. He has center experience. He, you know, his numbers as a bottom six guy aren't terrible, but they pretty much gave him no chance. They sent him down to Wilkes-Barre uh, early into training camp, and he was had a pretty good season in Wilkes-Barre. For last I checked, which was an hour ago, he was at the time of his trade. He was the leading scorer, point scorer on Wilkes-Barre. We'll get into the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins here in a little bit. I do want to have a new little segment where we can stay up to date with what's going on there and with the Penguins' prospects that are elsewhere beyond northeastern Pennsylvania. But yeah, Rem Pitlick is now a Chicago Blackhawk. Now that trade, as well as the Zach Sanford waiver claim for the Blackhawks, are just a part of getting NHL forwards because Connor Bedard has a fractured jaw. He's going to miss some time. Uh, defending his honor, Nick Foligno, his uh, you know on ice dad. Now that I'm not going to get into the Corey Perry uh, situation or jokes, but now that you know, Foligno's the most veteran guy on that team right now. Foligno broke his finger defending Bedard, so there's two forwards that are NHL caliber. Out of probably the other ten that weren't on that uh, lineup, so they're they're injured, and the Chicago Bla- Blackhawks needed. NHL forwards, which we talked about before with the Penguins, you need players, you need NHLers to ice on on your team, even when you're bad. You you cannot have AHL players uh, playing on NHL because you're going to get blown out ten nothing every night. So the Blackhawks claimed Zach Sanford from Arizona. They acquired Rem Pitlick from the Penguins, who, like I said, wasn't getting any time with Pittsburgh. He was never even called up when there were injuries, so he was going to be in Wilkes-Barre for a while, but now he is a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Wish him all the best. I wish we could have saw more of him in Pittsburgh. I thought he could have been a nice little piece, but uh, it ends up not being so. So that's that. Rem Pitlick no longer on the Penguins uh, or in the Penguins organization. Last time we spoke, the Penguins had one of the worst power plays in the NHL, and they still are very low in terms of league standings, but they've been better. I think right after this episode, I think they had their first power play goal in over a month. So they're slowly climbing up the ladder. They're in 26 now. The lowest I saw them at was 30th. They were just ahead of St. Louis and Washington. Now they're in 26th in the league in power play. They have 14.6%. I believe it was 10% last week, well, last time we spoke. So the power play slowly getting things back together. I think a lot of that is, um, well, obviously Sidney Crosby playing at such a high level that he's playing at, but also Chris Letang is really, really reeling right now. He is 17th in the league uh, amongst defensemen in points. He has three goals, 23 assists, 26 points in 38 games played, and He's never been a Norris guy, and he's not going to be in contention even for it this year. Um, he may have finished top five once or twice, but he's never been a guy who's like, oh, he's a favorite or he's a finalist. He's always kind of been in that 1B, 2A level of defenseman in the NHL. But he had well, one, he had a record-setting game uh, against, who was that? Um, it was the six-assist game. Oh, man, I feel like such a fool. Um, but, uh, six assists. I'm going to sound like an idiot once I see this. It was the Islanders. 
that's what it was. Yeah, he had six assists in, in the game, which was an NHL record for defensemen. Five in a single period, which was an NHL record, tied an NHL, NHL record for any player, defenseman or forwards. Five assists in a single period. It was that second period um, against the Islanders, which is such a satisfying team to beat for the Penguins. Year after year, they have a lot of trouble within their division, particularly against the Islanders, the Hurricanes, and the Devils. Even when those teams aren't good, they somehow still beat the Penguins. But that 7 nothing victory uh, against the Islanders felt so good. And Latang had his best game of his career, probably one of the best games of the season for any defenseman. But overall, he's been very, very good for this team. I think having him kind of slotted down a little bit, having him not play as many minutes now that Eric Carlson's around, kind of having them both as, you know, a 1A, 1B situation, I think that's helped Chris a lot. And whenever I see a bad play from Eric Carlson defensively, I'm always like, man, that may not have happened with Latang. But at the same time, this is giving Latang a breather. This is letting Latang be at his best for more time on the, you know for a longer period of time on the ice. He's no longer has to be a 27, 28, 30 minute uh, you know ice time a night guy anymore. Where he can Eric Carlson kind of helps take the load off of Chris Letang. And I think that's been very very good for Letang's game. He's another guy who I think has been super impressive this season at uh, both ends of the ice, both on forward uh you know up on the offensive zone and in the defensive zone. Can't say the same about Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson's played very well offensively. He, during the power play slump for the team, you know, he was kind of in the same boat where he wasn't really firing on all cylinders. But recently he's gotten better offensively. Uh, he needs to start taking more shots. I think they have a lot of, I think they lead the league actually in uh, blocked shots because they take so many uh, bad shots from the point. They, I think they need to better get in position for that they need to really spread it around and skate with the puck i think a lot of times on the power play everyone just stands in their spot and just passes it around there's not a lot of movement it's all very stagnant other than the puck the bodies are just standing uh, still i think a big thing with that with having eric carlson on your defense he's a good skater have him move around have him get into open lanes and you know either fire it over to one of your hall of fame goal scorers or have him take a shot on his own. But have an open lane. You can't just stand stationary like they do. With Eric Carlson you know, at the top, or like Latang's even been at the top, um, that's a big thing for me. I think that Eric Carlson needs to have better shot selection, and they need to be more willing to move him around on the power play, not have him just stand at the top of the key, to use a basketball term. Have him move around and um, get some more open lanes here. But he, like I said, Latang's 17th in points among, amongst defensemen. Carlson's 13th, so they have two of the top 17 offensive defensemen in the league this year. He has six goals, 21 assists, 27 points in 38 uh, games played, and he's not putting up the numbers he had last year. He's no longer the guy. He was the only guy that was scoring in San Jose, especially after they let go of uh, Timo Meyer, sent him to New Jersey. But he's no longer the relied on as the guy. He's a guy amongst the many players on this team. So his numbers aren't going to be as impressive as they were last year. But if he puts up 65, 70, if he puts up 75 points, that's a really good season. And I'm sure the Penguins would not be disappointed with that at all. There was obviously going to be a huge drop-off. If you look at his career numbers, he's not a 100-point player because no one is a 100-point defenseman anymore. 
What Eric Carlson did last year was historic. I think Quinn Hughes and Kel McCarr have a good shot at it this year. I think they're definitely going to be over a point a game, but they may not hit the century mark. What Eric Carlson did was extraordinary last season, and we can we shouldn't have expected that this year. I think he's been fine offensively, but defensively, there have been a lot of gaps in his game, particularly on the power play. He's made bad passes that have led to you know, an odd man rushes while the team's on the power play. I think a lot of their issues that they were having early in the season in November and December on the power play were him getting a little too risky on the power play and penalty killers taking advantage of that and getting two on ones, two on O's, which led on led to shorthanded goals against. And Eric Carlson in his own zone, even at five on five, does make a lot of you know I don't want to say dumb, but a lot of boneheaded uh, decisions. He's a Hall of Fame player. He's a fantastic player. Even at 33, he is a high-level defenseman. He is he has offensive skills from the defensive end, uh, from the defensive position that we haven't seen in the NHL. That the Penguins fans surely haven't seen. They've we've been blessed with you know a decade and a half, almost two decades of Chris Letang, but even Chris Letang can't do a lot of the things that Eric Carlson's able to do with the puck. That being said, he sacrifices a lot in his own end. And we knew that going into it. We knew going into the season, whenever they were acquiring him, that that was going to be a big fault of his. But man, it, it has cost them a lot. I think it's gotten a little better as of late. But whenever the Penguins were at their worst this season, which was late November, early December, mid-December, a lot of the bad issues outside of no depth scoring was Eric Carlson making a lot of boneheaded plays, but he's not the only one in the defensive end. Ryan Graves, I'm going to get into here in a little bit has done a lot of dumb things as well, but I give Ryan Graves a little more leeway than I do Eric Carlson, which maybe I shouldn't. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. I have a lot more to talk about. We're going to go over what's going on with the rest of the division. Like I said, Wilkes-Barre, uh, junior world juniors just happened. We're going to discuss that. A lot of things to go over after this short break. We'll be right back. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet five bucks and get two hundred instantly in bonus bets. Tomorrow, Monday, January eighth. We get the Battle of Pennsylvania. It's Penguins and Flyers in Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center. The Flyers may be ahead of the Penguins in the standings, but the Penguins are favored going into this one. Minus 125. The Flyers are plus 105. The over-under is set at 6. And the spread is Penguins minus 1.5. You can get plus 200 odds on that one. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. 
void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. We're back. We're so back. Uh, I want to go over a few players that, in my opinion, have done really well and have exceeded expectations as of late and are trending up. And a few players who are kind of trending a little down here. But let's start with the good. Then we'll go to the bad. We've talked enough about bad things. Let's go to the good. Valtteri Pustinen, who was a player I did not expect to be an everyday NHLer uh, when he was drafted or when we started uh, training camp this year, has been a welcomed addition in the bottom six and sometimes even on the second line for the Pittsburgh Penguins. In 13 games this year, Valtteri Pustinen has one goal, six assists, and seven points. He had one game played back in 21-22, and he had an assist in that game as well. So his career, 14 games played, eight points. It's a pretty good rate for a guy who's been playing majority minor league, uh, not minor league, a majority minor minutes, like, you know, in the single digits, 10 to 12 minutes. He's done very well. And this is a guy who back in 2019 was a seventh round draft pick by the Penguins, picked 203rd overall. And I can see him becoming a everyday player here for the rest of the season. I don't see I don't think there's any reason why he should be demoted down back to Wilkes-Barre. He's shown that he can hang with Malkin on that second line. He's shown that he can hang with Eller on the third and help have a have a little bit of a scoring touch down there and really elevate the rest of that line. Um, I think him and O'Connor both are kind of helping each other out right now. And they're both, I was going to get to O'Connor next, but might as well talk about him now. Both those players, Pustin and and O'Connor, are kind of like on the up right now at the same time. At a time when the Penguins need depth scoring. You know, they spent a lot of time this year, especially over the past month, without Brian Rust. Ricard Raquel missed a lot of time. And even when he was playing, he wasn't playing very well. He's just started to get back. So they really needed extra depth scoring because it wasn't all coming from the top six anymore. There was just a void. And Pustinen and O'Connor have really come up big as of late. O'Connor this year, his numbers are improving. He already has his career high in points in just 38 games. Uh, Five goals, eight assists, and 13 points. And he seems to be a guy who could be developing into a good net front option either for the power play or on the third line whenever they get going and start scoring uh, like they have with Pustinen. Eller is another one who uh, on that line has is, is done very well. He started to get his scoring touch up a little bit, but all season along I've been very impressed with what Lars Eller is. He's a great leader in the locker room. He's you know always willing to talk. He's a veteran guy. Him along with Crosby, Malkin, and Achari have combined to make the Penguins the one of, if not the best face-off team in the NHL. Last I checked, they were second behind the Rangers, I believe. I don't know if that number's changed or not. But offensively speaking, Eller has 13 points, 7 goals, 6 assists in 38 games this season. And he's 8 games away from 1,000 career NHL games. And for a guy who was never a top 6 forward, he was always kind of like a 3rd, third, 4th third, line guy. He's won a Stanley Cup. But for that caliber of player, no disrespect to Eller... That's a very impressive feat. He's going to have a thousand games played and never really have been a top line or even second line guy. His career high in points was 38, which he got in 17-18, which was the year 
the uh, Capitals won the Cup. He was with the Capitals then. And in that playoff uh, run, he was a huge part of that team. In 24 games played, he had 18 points, which in any you know particular range of number a uh, range of games played that's probably his best point production rate of his career uh so he is a playoff performer he has uh in a, in 100 games he has just just under 50 points he has uh 49 points he's just about a, a little below a half a point a game in the playoffs where in the regular season he is a little below 0.4 points per game so he can play well in the playoffs and he's done really well as of late offensively for the Penguins. But like I said, all year I've been very impressed with his penalty-killing ability. And I think um, that that's a really good signing that Kyle Dubas had. Probably one of the best signings I think Kyle Dubas had this offseason was locking up Eller for this year and next at a very reasonable $2.45 million. I'm going to say it again, though, like I said in the offseason. I think ideally, on a good, great team, Lars Eller is a fourth-line center. Very good at faceoffs, plays PK minutes, a lot of PK minutes, and is you know good defensively, good on faceoffs. I I just don't know if elite teams have Lars Eller at this stage in his of his career on the third line. The third line, as of late, like I said, is doing better. But ideally, that third line is probably your fourth line. You probably add a Chari and two other forwards there. Um, that would make a better fourth slash third line um, than what you have right now. I, I still think there's a lot of guys that are getting valuable minutes on this team that are borderline NHLers. I think the number one uh, guy there is Jansen Harkins. I think Redeem Zahorna, who had a good start to the year, but he's kind of fallen off and kind of regressed to the player. I think he is more like, I think he's one of those borderline NHL guys. Ideally, this offseason, you get more guys down there in that bottom six who have scoring touch. And maybe you can make that third line you have a fourth line and kind of have a more stable third line that is more relied upon to score. Because right now the third line is scoring, but I'm not sure that's, you know, what to expect over an 82-game season. So props to the third line. Like I said, Eller, O'Connor, Pustin, and they've been playing great as of late, especially in the past couple weeks. Uh, all the props to them. Now let's talk about players who have been a little disappointing as of late. And we're going to start with Brian Rust. But caveat he has missed a lot of time recently with uh, some injuries he I'm still not certain that he is fully recovered from whatever injury he just had uh, coming out uh, of the past coming out of the new year that he just came back from he played he's played three games since he came back and he he isn't it's not the numbers that are the issue he just doesn't look the same it looks like he's still missing a step when he's at his peak he's when he's he zips around the ice. You know, he is a guy who can create offense all on his own. And during the Washington game, there were spurts of that. But I'm still not 100% sure that he's 100% healthy. And maybe it would have been a better decision by the Penguins to let him sit out a little bit more and maybe get a little healthier. He is on pace for his fifth consecutive 20-goal season. He's at 10 goals right now. He's only played 25 games this season, so he's already missed 13 games. Maybe they should have held him out a little more and let him get a little healthier because it does seem like he's missing a step. But we'll see. Um, there's still there's still time for him to you know redeem himself. He's only played three games since he's been back, so I don't want to completely bury the guy. One guy who has not been uh, injured but who has still been performing poorly is Riley Smith. 
who was the hand-in-glove replacement for Jason Zucker. He has two more years left at $5 million. They acquired him for that third-round pick uh, from the Vegas Golden Knights. And he started off well. It seemed like there was a lot of chemistry there between him and Malkin, but as of the last month, he's really slowed down. He has 20 points in 38 games, which, looking at it, you know, without any context, doesn't seem too bad. He is a top six winger playing alongside of a future Hall of Famer in Evgeny Malkin. The right wing on that line has kind of been inconsistent, so, you know, I, I understand that there might be a little bit of a pause there. Even Gino himself hasn't been 100% um, the entire season. He's had ebbs and flows, and right now, he's sort of coming back a little bit, but he had a, a, a bit of a slowdown in December as well. But Riley Smith, for playing alongside Malkin, you would expect to have a little bit better offensive production. Right now, he's only on pace for about 40, 45 points over an 82-game season. And if you're playing on the left side of Guinea Malkin, you have to be doing better than that. Jason Zucker had a few seasons where he was injured a lot. But then finally, with the one season he was healthy, he broke out alongside Evgeny Malkin. I'm just not seeing that from Riley Smith right now. I think that he provides more in various aspects of the game, including he can penalty kill. Uh, he's I think he's a little more more responsible defensively than Jason Zucker was. But at the same time, I don't think that offensive uh, ceiling on Riley Smith is as high as it was on Jason Zucker. And the Penguins are missing that right now. I think Jason Zucker, if he wasn't, or if the Arizona Coyotes weren't as uh, good as they have been this season, I think that that would be a guy the Penguins could look to reacquire at the trade deadline. But we're at the point right now where I don't think Arizona is going to be selling. I think they're going to be a playoff team, uh, or at least in the hunt for one of those wild card spots as we approach uh, March and April as the season comes to an end. And the biggest disappointment, who I feel bad because I vouched for his signing, I, I asked, for, <clears throat> excuse me, I asked the Penguins to sign him uh, in the offseason. I wrote a whole article about it, but he is really disappointed is Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves is the Pierre Engvall of defense. And what I mean by that is he has a big body and you look at him and you're like, he should be dominating on the ice, specifically in the position that Ryan Graves plays alongside two, either one of the two incredibly talented offensive defensemen, whether that's Eric Carlson or Chris Letang. He has what seems like a pretty easy job. You you just have to stay at home uh, and defend well, stay back, and you also should be a little physical because you are six foot four. You're two hundred and twenty pounds. He's six five actually. So I'm, I, apologies to Ryan. Um, he should be the guy who is the physical, defensive minded defenseman. And he's played alongside of some really elite defensemen in his career, including Kale McCarr and Dougie Hamilton. So he's played second fiddle and, you know, a line, line mate to these elite defenders in his past. And the teams have been successful. Maybe all of that was coincidence. I'm starting to think that might be the case because he's not looked good this season at all at either end of the ice, defensively or offensively. On offense, he has two goals, four assists, six points in 38 games. His career average is around 20, 25 points. So he's not even on pace to get that. He's on pace to get 15. So he's underperforming there. And defensively, he's looked like a mess. I know a lot of people like ragging on Eric Carlson for his defensive mishaps and misplays. That comes with 
Eric Carlson. At least you have a trade-off there where you're getting something for this risk. There's a risk-reward there. There's no reward with Ryan Graves. He is... I don't think he's as bad as some of the worst defensemen the Penguins have had over the years. I don't think he's Jack Johnson. I don't think he's Matt Hunwick. I don't think he's Erica Branson. I think he has the potential to be better, but I think he needs to change his style of game a lot. They've even put him down on the on the bottom pair, which I guarantee you was never in their cards when they made that signing. They were confident that he would be alongside one of the top uh, offensive defenseman. They didn't have Carlson at the time, but I'm sure they were still had that plan in mind during uh, the signing of Ryan Graves. But they're, they'd probably... I, I mean, my projected lines in the offseason once they got Carlson were, okay, Graves goes with Latang, Pedersen goes with Carlson because Pedersen and Carlson are more of the extremes. Pedersen is insanely good defensively. Eric Carlson is insanely good offensively. They equal out. The two that were supposed to be a little more equal, a a little more even on the defensive-offensive spectrum would be Ryan Graves and Chris Letang. Chris Letang's still offensively minded, but he's more responsible defensively than Eric Carlson. Ryan Graves is supposed to be more responsible defensively and lack a little bit of offensive prowess, but still be a little more offensively productive than Marcus Pedersen. He hasn't even surpassed that. Pedersen's having a great year this year offensively. Some of that might be playing alongside of Eric Carlson. But Marcus Pedersen is... I, I He is far and away this team's best left-handed defenseman, and it's not even particularly close. Marcus Pedersen this year in 38 games has 14 assists, no goals, so 14 points. He's on pace to get near 30 points which would be a career high he needs 24 25 points to surpass his career high which he had last year but at the time of the signing it was kind of could have went like either way where graves could be the top pairing guy patterson could be the top pairing guy it's no question right now marcus patterson is the best left-handed defenseman on this team and it's not particularly close ryan graves is probably closer to the bottom pairing guys like poj Ryan Shea, John Ludwig, than he is to Marcus Patterson right now. And that's disappointing because I thought Ryan Graves would have been a great addition to this team. I thought, given his stature, given his success and his team success that he's been on in years past and the pairings he's been a part of, I assumed that he was the kind of guy that fit the style that I had in my head. And that is a lesson for all of you to know that just because you look big and you look physical and you look like you're defensively sound doesn't mean you're always physical and defensively sound. Ryan Graves has completely lowered the bar for what I expected of him. And that's disappointing because he's signed for the next six years, including this, five years after this year. And Marcus Pedersen only has two years left on his $4 million deal. And then his number goes up. I guarantee you his number is going to go up a good bit because he's been fantastic especially this year and last year for the penguins that trade uh, all those years ago with uh, daniel sprung for marcus Pedersen at the time did not like it at the time daniel sprung had a higher ceiling as a forward than Pedersen has a, as, as a defender no doubt about it mark the penguins won that deal marcus Pedersen is an incredible defenseman i'm very very happy that's another guy i should have put under the uh, praising category i've been nothing but happy with his play this year Cannot say the same about 
uh, Ryan Graves. Plain and simple. And uh, and uh, that's enough for praising and disappointing and everything. Now let's get to a little more news. Um, things that have been going on. The Penguins, I think it was over a month ago, signed Jesse Poyarvi to a PTO, a player tryout. And he is not played for the Penguins yet. He hasn't signed a, a deal yet. However, he did sign another PTO, but with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. And I'm very interested to see how they decide to go about this, uh, the Penguins, that is, because he is he could be the, uh, the forward version of Ryan Graves where he looks like he could play this particular part and he just doesn't. But at the same time, he might there might be something there. Uh, he's still really young. He's still only 25 years old. Six foot four, two oh one. In my eyes, that's the kind of guy you want on the bottom, uh, not the bottom pair, on the bottom six, the bottom couple lines there, and you kind of put him in that front. I think he, I mean, from what I've seen, he has a pretty good shot. He's scored uh, 14 goals, 15 goals in a season, 12 goals in a season. He's never going to be the player he was drafted drafted to be. He's never going to live up to the fourth overall pick anymore. He's just not going to. And at the during that year, that draft, it was the Austin Matthews draft, he was projected to go third to Columbus. But Columbus jumped up and grabbed Pierre... Uh, Pierre Dubois, Pierre Luc Dubois, that's that, that's his name. Uh, instead of getting uh, Poyarvi, then Poyarvi fell down to Edmonton, or at least at the time it seemed that way that he fell. But Poyarvi is going to get some conditioning down in Wilkes-Barre. He's coming off of that hip surgery that uh, I think Patrick Kane had too, which is not an easy surgery to rehab from. He took time off to do this, and he, you know, he's betting on on himself to become a good player again and make it back to the NHL. He played last last season for both Edmonton and Carolina, and only got uh, 16 points, five goals. I think he could be a adequate scoring option on the bottom six. I'm not saying he's going to be good by any means, but I think he can kind of uh, provide some offensive. Uh, talent there some offensive production and hopefully just find his game because I don't see him being a long-term penguin here but I think if they can at least get him going maybe get some confidence back maybe he can go sign the deal somewhere else next year or maybe resign here if it ends up working out um but I, I I just I'm pulling for the guy just because he has the tools He's just had, I think, a lot of bad luck and a lot of misfortune in, in his uh, career and hopefully he turns things around starting with a PTO down there in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. Um, another thing, I know I talked about Crosby, but I want to talk more about him. He was just named to his 10th All-Star game of his career, which is hella impressive for Sidney Crosby. And across hockey media, there's been some discussion, some dialogue of maybe him being a Hart Trophy nominee. I think... Uh, that's kind of become more of a like a scoring leader type of uh, thing right now this season, where it's been more, not this season, just over the past few years. It seems like the leading score is almost the shoe in for the MVP. I think you have to go back to the Taylor Hall uh, MVP to where that wasn't the case. But Sidney Crosby could be one of those guys because he is. I know people have been saying single handedly pulling, but he is probably the most valuable player to their team. If you go by the definition of the trophy, Sidney Crosby is at least top three for that uh, for that definition. 
Connor McDavid is doing better. He's he's gotten Edmonton back into things. He's probably going to be a nominee. Right now, Nikita Kucherov leads the league in points. Is he going to be a nominee? But if you take Sidney Crosby off of this Penguins team, they're not even close to a playoff spot. They're not. I know I just pray, got done praising Jake Gensel, you know, 30 minutes ago or whatever. But in all reality, Sidney Crosby is the is the heart and soul of this team. He's been playing a much better uh, 200-foot game this year. I mean, he's been really good defensively in years past, but I, like, from my perspective, he's finally getting recognition more for it. And I think that there's a possibility there that he gets a nominee. Um, I don't think he's going to win it. I just don't. I, th- I think it's, like I said before, it's more of a scoring trophy now more than ever. So it's going to be really hard for him with the numbers he's put up thus far. He is on pace to have uh, one of his best goal-scoring seasons uh, since 09-10, since he put up 51. But point-wise, he's at 41. He's probably, if he stays on this pace, he's probably going to finish around 85-90. Is that enough to win the heart in 2023? Again, I think it. Sh- I think it, it, the trophy should be beyond that. But that's not where we're at, or at least the voters are at right now. It's still very much a, how many points did you give me? Last year, it was completely valid. I completely understand that. Connor McDavid had a season unlike any other. You're, you shouldn't change the goalpost for that year. I get that. This year, there's no clear-cut number one. Crosby could be in it. He could be in it, but... Like I said, he's making his 10th All-Star game. Congrats to him. I couldn't think of anyone more rewarding on the team. Um, But there's still more players to be put in, so there may be other Penguins that make it. I think Gensel has a good argument. I think Tristan Jari has a good argument. Uh, We'll see, obviously, there. But around the Metro, uh, a couple questionable choices for the All-Star game. Starting in our nation's capital, Tom Wilson is an NHL All-Star in the year of our Lord 2024. That's interesting. That's definitely interesting. I know Alex Ovechkin hasn't played that very good this year, and it also came out that he asked not to be selected. He did. He it's been known for years he does not like going to the All Star game. So I get that. That's fine. It's a little hard from a marketing perspective to see an All Star game without Alex Ovechkin because he's one of the guys that gets people to the game, gets people to tune in on TV, but. Tom Wilson will be there instead. I think there were other more deserving options on the Washington Capitals. I think John Carlson, maybe even Connor McMichael, Charlie Lindgren, I think could have been a good option. But, okay, Washington, you have uh, Tom Wilson as your all-star nominee, and or all-star selection, I guess he's already in. Boone Jenner on Columbus also got it, which, I mean... He's a pro. <laughs> he's one of those guys you can just say he's a pro. I don't think he's an all-star. I don't think there's any world where Boone Jenner should be an all-star. And I think when you start having guys like that become all-stars, maybe you should reevaluate the whole every team needs a guy in the all-star game role, in my opinion. I understand why they do it. They want every TV market to have a reason to tune in. Got it. Cool. But speaking of the marketing perspective of it, they... Obviously, Connor Bedard was the best option for Chicago, but the but the main reason why he they wanted him there before he got injured, which I don't know if he's going to play now, is because it, he's the 
chief marketing officer among players of the NHL. Why not also put the other young guy who was drafted this past draft? Why not put Adam Fantilli in instead of Boone Jenner? Does, is Boone Jenner that much better or better at all than Adam Fantilli right now? No, he's not. He's really not. I think Adam Fantilli would have drawn, drawn more fans to the All-Star game than Boone Jenner would have. That's my perspective. Uh, maybe Tom Wilson, maybe in Washington's case, Tom Wilson drives more than if you had Lindgren or Carlson in because of how polarizing he is. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But interesting nonetheless. Very interesting. And I do want to actually go around. Now that we're talking about the Metro, let's let's just dive into this. I wanted to do like a Metro update of what's going on with the division just because we get so entrenched in what this team is doing on a micro level. Sometimes you need to look outside and see what's going on with the division as a whole. And right now, uh, it's tough. It is tough, man. The New York Rangers are kind of running away with the division right now. They have 54 points in 38 games. They're on pace for around 110, 115 points. They're going to be in contention for the President Trophy. Right now, they are tied with Boston and Winnipeg for the most points in the NHL. Just behind them, Colorado, Vancouver, and Florida, I believe. Yes. Yes. And Vegas is there too. Vegas has 51. Those are all the teams with 50 or more uh, points on the year that are projected to get over 100 points. But right now, with two games in hand over the Hurricanes, the Rangers have five points up on the Hurricanes. So from what it seems like, the Rangers are kind of running away with things right now. That could obviously change. Carolina is on a heater. They started slow, but they're finally getting their footing and they're coming back into it. Um, But right now, the top three divisional spots are the Rangers with 54 points in 38 games, the Hurricanes with 49 points in 40 games, and the Flyers with 46 points in 39 games. Also with 46 points in 39 games, but losing the tiebreaker are the New York Islanders. And then with 44 points, two points behind them are the New the New Jersey Devils. Excuse me, They have 44 points in 38 games and tied with them with points and games played, but losing the tiebreaker are the Washington Capitals. They have 44 points in 38 games as well. And then in seventh place and second last in the Metro division are the Pittsburgh Penguins with 42 points in 38 games. Not ideal, but in last place in the division are the Columbus Blue Jackets. They have 35 points in 41 games. Now, in terms of the pace the point pace for the Penguins. Right now, they're playing at a 90-point pace. And right now, that would not be enough to get into the playoffs. Just that's the long and short of it. They Right now, if the season ended, they would not be in the playoffs. They're not even the first team out. They're not even the second team out. Even if you're going off of point percentage, which I think is important, uh, the wild card goes like this. So the Division ones would be the Rangers, uh, Hurricanes and Flyers. I still don't understand how the Flyers are good, and I will ne- never understand how the Flyers are good. I, I, they're going to regress. I'm, I'm standing by it. They're not going to make the playoffs. I just, I, I don't see it happening. I just, I'm sorry. Um, but in terms of the wild card, right now, I assume that the Flyers are going to drop out of it. But I can't right now because that's not where things are. If you're going based on point percentage in the wild card, number one wild card would be the Islanders, and that's because they have ten loser points. If you go based off of a regular record of wins and losses, they are 18 and 21. 
The Penguins are 19 and 19. So yeah, thanks Batman for the loser point. Point percentage, yeah, the Islanders with a 590 point percentage are the first wildcard team. The second wildcard team would be the New Jersey Devils at 579. They are currently tied with the Capitals at 579, but the tiebreaker goes to the Devils. So right now, if the season ended, these are what, based on playoff, I mean, not, not based on play, based off point percentage, this is how the playoff matchups would look like. It would be Florida-Toronto. It would be Carolina-Philadelphia. It would be Boston, New Jersey, and then a battle of New York, Islanders, Rangers, with Washington just on the outside, and then behind them, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Tampa, Montreal, then Buffalo, Columbus, Ottawa, and last place in the Eastern Conference in point percentage and points. They've played six less games uh, than the Columbus Blue Jackets who are ahead of them, so they still have catching up to do. But based off point percentage, they are last. Based on points, they are last in the East. And what's worth noting, I was doing a little looking around just trying to see like what's the deal with the Metro right now, what's going on, what's, what are the trends. Well, the biggest news to come out of the Metro, I think, in the past week is that Jack Hughes is injured again. So maybe New Jersey has more of a hard time again. Maybe they start regressing a little bit, even though they're just kind of picking up their game again. They're get, getting back into it. Point is, it's not an easy path for the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. It's not, a, you just need to win games. They're, they're going to get to the point here pretty soon where they're going to be scoreboard watching and not only hoping for wins, but rooting for other teams to lose. And they put themselves in this position by having the worst power play the you know the last two months they've gotten better but for a good month and a half span there they had one of one of if not the worst power plays in the league and having no depth scoring up until the turn of the calendar so are there moves to be made maybe i think that Kyle Dubas is still going to be in an evaluation period here for of this team over the next month month and a half I don't think that they're going to decide on whether to buy or sell until right before deadline time because they're so close to being in it, but they're equally as close. They're a few losses away from being completely out of things. That's how tight the East is right now, especially the Metro. So, you know, do they look to add? And if they do look to add, what are they adding? I've been of the belief that they are still one top six defenseman short of a... NHL defense core. So maybe they look to add a defender. Last year, during the deadline time, there was rumors of Jacob Chikorin. Could they still look to go and acquire a more high-end, non-Eric Carlson defenseman? Noah Hannafin's out there. Could you use him as a rental? Probably not going to be able to resign him, but he's an American. He He sounds like he wants to be traded to a team in America. Maybe there's something there. I think that that's probably too big of a price for the Penguins to pay. I think what's more likely is they go and get like a bottom pairing guy. But I think one of their biggest priorities trade deadline time should be depth scoring. Like I said, that third line has picked it up recently. Pustinen, uh, O'Connor, Eller. But you need a, a guy, a proven goal scorer, a proven point getter on the bottom six, that you're not surprised when they get a goal. You're not surprised when they pick up points. A guy you could put on the second power play unit and it not look awkward. 
because right now they're at a point where th- that that's a thing. I don't think Jeff Car- Jeff Carter's played better this season than last year. I don't want to kick Jeff Carter, you know, while he's you know he's been the brunt of basically all of the jokes for Peng- from Penguins fans over the past two years. He's played better, but ideally at this stage in his career, is he a power play forward for you? Probably not. One guy who I I, I know I talked about Zucker earlier, but one guy who is going to be traded, I am confident of it is Anthony Duclair of the San Jose Sharks. He is $3 million cap hit. This is the final year of his deal. He'd make a perfect scoring rental for a middle six forward. Second line, third line. If there's injuries, you can put him up on the first line. He's a proven goal scorer. He has a ton of skill. He's a great skater. That's the kind of guy I think the Penguins should be looking to add to their bottom six slash middle six of their forward group. That's the kind of guy that they need. There's more than that, but that is one guy who I have had my eye on since he was dealt in the offseason to San Jose from Florida because he was a cap dump for them, but I think that the Penguins could really look to use a guy like that. Going off of the Penguins' NHL team page, I would like to do a quick Wilkes-Barre Scranton check. Uh, an update of what's going on down in the AHL for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Like I said before, Rem Pitlick was their top scorer uh, at the time of the trade, but he's no longer a Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguin. He's not even a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's a Chicago Blackhawk. He's on his way to play valuable minutes for the Chicago Blackhawks because they have no one else to play uh, on forward. But when he was when he left, he had uh, 24 points in 32 games, eight goals, 16 assists, 24 points total. Now their top scorer is the other end of the John Marino deal, Ty Smith. He has 23 points in 29 games played, four goals, 19 assists, 23 points. He's the guy who I thought would have been that bottom pairing uh, left-handed defenseman for the Penguins. Either you know maybe move it, move move him to the right side, move POJ to the right side, but I thought that would have been an NHL pairing. Obviously, the Penguins didn't see it that way in training camp, and they sent him down down to Wilkesbury, and no one claimed him on waivers. He's a guy who I still think there's something there. I mean, obviously there is. He's almost he's a defenseman, and he's near-ish a point a game in the AHL, which is very impressive. But man. I, I don't understand what, what what it is with him. Like he, it was a terrible trade from the start. Marino is a proven right-handed defensive defenseman on a long-term cheap deal, and they traded him for an AHL offensive defenseman. Man, God, that's it's so unfortunate. John Marino would make, would would be such a great Penguin right now, but whatever. Can't be, can't be living in the past. Gotta gotta move forward on that one. But he's the leader, the leading scorer on the Penguins right now. Alex Nylander's just behind him, and in 26 games played, he has 20 points, 12 goals, eight assists. He's good, uh, been a very good goal scorer down there for them. But the bit, the best player this season, bar none for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, has been Yoel Blomqvist, who is played most of their games. He is 10-4-2. He has a 9-20 save percentage and a 2-16 goals against average. He is the future in net for the Penguins. He should, in my opinion, probably get a look as the backup here in the next year or two. And hopefully by the time Jari's deal's done, he is ready 
to be the full-time starter. I, I fully believe in him. I think the Penguins over the years have been great at developing goaltenders. Uh, look no further than Murray and Jari. And I think he could be a great future goaltender for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hopefully, they give him a chance here soon. Alex Andalkovich is only on a one-year deal. So maybe after this year, they give him a shot. Or maybe they... I'm, I'm not sure. But... He's still young. He still has a lot of time left to grow, to be to become more comfortable in the in the professional game in North America. He's only 21 years old, uh, but that's a guy who's been very incredible uh, for that team. And right now they sit in fourth in the Atlantic Division of the AHL. The Hershey Bears are running away with the division. They have uh, 56 points in 35 games. They are having a historic season thus far. But the Penguins are kind of in the middle of the pack there in terms of the playoff picture. They are one are three points behind Hartford, the Hartford Wolfpack, two points behind the Providence Bruins, and are just one point ahead of both the Springfield Thunderbirds and the Charlotte Checkers. So they're probably going to make the playoffs, but they're going to be in a similar spot with the Pittsburgh Penguins, where kind of, you know, it might be towards the end of the season where they're able to finally clinch it, or they'll be still be fighting for a spot, you know, come April. Um, one last thing before I hit the road here is the World Junior Championship just happened, and in case you missed it, America won. America got gold against uh, Sweden in the gold medal game. So America gets gold, Sweden gets silver, and Canada did not medal at all. And boy, did Americans let the Canadians hear about that. But beyond me being happy that America won, there are no Penguins on, that were on Team America, Team USA. But Braden Yeager played a lot of valuable minutes in the World Juniors for Team Canada. Like I said, Team Canada really disappointed. Yeager was probably one of the bright spots on that team. Him and Macklin Celebrini, who is going to be the first overall pick in this coming draft, were on a line during parts of the tournament together. And Yeager ended second on Team Canada in points and tied for second in goals. He had two goals, three assists, five points through the tournament. Great performance for Jaeger. Really should make Penguin fans and Kyle Dubas more reassured that he was the right pick at 14th overall because there's been talk about a lot of other guys that were in that range, Oliver Moore, Matthew Wood. Would those guys have been better picks? Even Axwell, Sandine Palika, the defenseman that went to uh, Detroit. But Jaeger had a great World Juniors, and he's actually had a really good season as well with Moose Jaw. So that's looking to be a great pick. The other two Penguin prospects that were in the World Juniors were playing for Team Finland. Emil Pianiemi, a defenseman, and forward Kali Kangas. They both played for Team Finland and didn't put up really any numbers, any stats uh, that were noteworthy. But from what I've read, I didn't get to see them play. But from what I read, they both had very fine tournaments. They didn't really do anything extraordinary. Uh, but it sounds like they were just, they, they were fine. Finland didn't have the best tournament. Um, they are, they're obviously always in contention there for gold. But they disappointed as well as Team Canada this year. And USA is the only team that leaves the World Juniors happy. And, they, man, they were... They were letting people know about it. They were very happy to have won that gold. That is a very confident, for lack of a better word, a Team USA team. And I just want the world, uh, world's hockey fans to be on alert. The USA is going to be a problem for years to come when it comes to hockey. They are building so much talent on at every position. 
I've looked at uh, possible Olympic slash World Cup rosters of uh, what the teams could look like, and Team USA looks crazy good. I'd say Team USA has three to four elite goaltending options, where Canada might not even have one. I think Canada's best bet at this moment in goal would be Tristan Jari. I believe that. I saw a lot of projected rosters that didn't even have him on the roster, which was insane. I think he's the best um, goaltender in, for like, uh, best Canadian goaltender playing right now. Aiden Hill was on there, but he's been a career backup outside of the last year. Do you really want him to be representing Team Canada as the full time starter? Carter Hart is another option. I think Carter Hart would be a better option than Aiden Hill. Jordan Bennington, I saw on there. Cam Talbot as well, which was a weird one. I know he's had a good season, but. I still think Tristan Jari right now is the best option there. So um, that is everything from me today. I wanted to go over the team, the Penguins, obviously, uh, take a look around the division, see what's happening at every level here with the prospects and the AHL team. And I'm pretty content with how this went. It was a very long episode. So if you if you hung around, thank you very much. And like I said, I'm going to try to make this more consistent. I've obviously been very busy over the past couple weeks months but i want to make these a little more consistent at least once every two weeks if not once a week school starting back up tomorrow so we'll see about that but nonetheless if you made it this far thank you for listening this was episode 26 of the pens cast follow me on social media at lucas underscore wester and we'll see you again soon thank you